Good morning, good morning. And I know everybody keeps on writing me and saying, it's not morning here when you listen to it. You need to stop saying that. I'm sorry, it's morning someplace. That's when you get the best energy when you've had a good night's sleep. So good morning and welcome. You guys all know me, Glenn Daniels, but I'm here and he just told me, Pierce Cochise? Cochise. Chris Kesey is our guest today, and I tell you what, I think you want to, once again, forget about the notes that you might write on your computer, pull out a paper and pencil, because when I was doing a little bit of research, I had to make some notes, but Pete Kesey is a former military special operations member, and that says a lot right there, so thank you for your service, number one, but you took that skills and you turned it into an executive coach, Okay, and I know you utilize what is has to be one of the most stressful situations in the world that's combat stress and you come up with some s- systems to r- reduce that stress and some techniques you're using neuroscience psychology physiology to help guide people to the ultimate levels of performance and resilience welcome and thank you very much for taking the time i know you're super busy but thank you for your time thank you for having me glenn i appreciate it great so the first question i want to ask you is outside of your company Outside of how you make your living, what is it that people should know about you that they maybe they don't know that's different, unique? That's a great question. One of the things that I really enjoy doing is is being out in nature, high adrenaline, high speed sports, oh, uh, surfing, okay. skiing, skydiving, all of these things. And I've actually really turned them into training tools. The act in themselves is fun, is adventurous, but I've really utilized it to train my mind my body, my level of focus, the ability to get into flow, the opportunity to experience kind of gratitude, being Mm. in the moment, my connection with other people. On the surface, it seems like a lot of go fast things, but that's one of the things that I'm really big into is how can I use any of these activities or tools for personal development? And maybe that's not a big surprise to people, but it's worked its way into all areas of life. It is and not. I want to push you on that just a little bit because I've done the yeah. skydiving thing. How would you use that to, to turn that into, I guess you could put it in your course. That's how I was taking a course and had to go to do skydiving as part of that. But how do you use it to make us better humans? Yeah, so anything that, you know, such as skydiving induces a certain level of fear, induces a certain level of stress. It, sure does. it doesn't matter how many <laughs> It doesn't matter how many times you do it, it's still going to induce a little bit of that, maybe to a lesser degree, but it's still there. So it's a really incredible way to experience, okay, what's my body's physical response to fear? What are my mind's typical programs, thought patterns, behaviors around fear? How can I control these? How can I control these in a relatively stressful environment, right? How can I then use these signals to understand where else this comes up in the rest of my life, right? We're just building deeper awareness. Another area of that is, okay, how can I take an activity that's Mm. supposed to be fun, but it's inducing a ton of stress. Skydiving is also has a very big root in community. You're doing it with other people. How do I utilize that and actually change that energy into one that makes me grateful? One where I can feel a sense of community, with others, one where I can change my relationship with the unknown, right? Which is a big 
point of fear for a lot of people. Skydiving is a big one with the unknown. You don't exactly know what's going to happen. You can hope and pray that the chute opens properly and that nobody's in your way and that landing goes well, but it's all an unknown, just like the rest of life. And so it's just this really good window where all of these concepts get thrown in your face and you get to deal with them in real time. It doesn't yeah, have to be skydiving. I just, because I know skydiving and I remember the first unknown I had is when they opened up the door to realize how cold it was outside. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it's a lot, it's a lot cold, colder yeah. at 15,000 feet for sure. Yeah, much colder. But so that kind of ties into what I was going to look at for my first question, because you're talking about this idea of personal development and how to use it to optimize. But yet it needs to be something that's constant and it just needs to always be going. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Give us and just look at why personal development needs to be optimized and we can't just let it go. Just can't read one book and do it again and be done with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the most importance comes from this process. And if I can make the analogy to physical fitness, I think that's one that everybody can understand. So when I talk about personal development, I'm talking about the idea of creating a harmonious environment between mind, body, spirit, the way we think, act, and behave, the way we look back on our lives, right? So mm. in fitness, if my goal was to get fit, lose weight, the way that most people may treat, let's say their mental state is they go, they see a trainer, they get on a good diet for one day, and then they <laughs> take the next two months off and they sit on the couch and they eat donuts and watch Netflix. That's what most people do with their minds, right? Which means that they'll go on a, they'll take a day off. They'll go on a vacation. They'll talk to someone. They'll read a book. And then they completely let it go for two months or a year or 10 years. And then they realize, oh, wow, look, look at the place that I'm in. How did I end up? And I think this is an incredibly important thing to recognize is that our modern world is very different from our ancestral world. Our, in our ancestral world, we're much more connected to the things that created a good sense of coherence and harmony within the mind and body, nature, community. There was a lot less harmful things in our environment. There was a lot less distraction with social media and the news and a lot of negative energy. Right? We weren't exposed to all of that. So now we're in this modern world and all these people are recognizing these issues and wondering, why do I have them? So we ha if we can gain the understanding that our current world is always inflicting a negative energy or a negative stress on us constantly, then we have to work to change that and to work on that every single day. It's no different than understanding that a lot of the times our habit, if we think about the physical, our habits, our daily lives are sitting a lot. We're exposed right. to food that's not natural with a ton of chemicals, right? So then we need to work on going the opposite direction, going in a positive direction almost daily to have a good change. I know a lot of the folks who tuned in and some of them are clients, they've all said, I'm working, I've got to be at the office at five o'clock so I get my quiet time to work before the staff gets in. I still don't go home until three. I have a sister who at one time, she still is, but top one of the top executives in the united states voted on and that's what she does she gets to the office by six o'clock her time and by the time she finishes it's four o'clock five o'clock her time but she's taking meetings almost right at six o'clock on the east coast meetings all day long so she's not getting what she needs to do not getting what has to happen and take place 
So I'm wondering when you're going to coach somebody to say, okay, hey, it's got to be a consistent endeavor. Is that a mindset change that you coach them into? Absolutely. And a lot of it goes back to the reasoning behind why we do anything, right? We have to have a deep-seated reasoning. And I really learned this kind of in, in military training and understanding that they were people that were plenty capable, but they didn't have a real hard, deep-seated reason for why they did anything, right? So for example, if that executive is somebody that recognizes that they need to work on, they have something in their personal development that could be improved, that could be optimized. We all have these things. There has to be a reason for it. Right now, the reason for her is most likely that these meetings are more important to the business. But what happens if you get to the place like one of my executives where eventually normal meetings trigger some sort of response that are bringing on panic attacks or the stress of the day is making you overbreathe, which is reducing the oxygen to your brain tissue, which changes your decision making and your thought patterns and you lose creativity. So if yeah. we can see, if we can attach these practices of personal development to the most important things in our lives, right? For her, it may be business. So if we can understand that taking two minutes before each meeting to reset herself, taking 30 minutes in the morning to work on her physical body, her breathing, taking 10 minutes at the end of the day to take notes on herself and how that might have an exponential impact in the next day's performance, then it starts to make sense, right? Because the, most people, when they say they're too busy for something, it's really just a mismanagement of priorities. At least that's what I see. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you on that one. I am going to ask you something, though, because you said yeah. something that I believe, and but I want you to share a little bit. You said writing about it at the end of the day. Uh, Tony Robbins is famous for having said that if your life is not worth living, if you're not writing it, if you have a life worth living, you're writing about it in your journal on a daily basis. How much does that come into play? Because you, you're the one, you said that, that morning workouts and breaks and writing about it at the end of the day. How big is that a player? So I think a lot of people are pretty resistant to the writing because it's slow and it may seem like a waste of time. And I was in the exact same place. Mm -hmm. What I noticed about writing, and to be honest, I don't have a great scientific explanation of this, but I know that it works. We live in this constant hamster wheel in our minds where thoughts move really fast. We've got multiple thoughts at once. We're thinking about all these different things and it is very difficult to control. People have some sort of emotional reaction to something that happened in their day. It triggers a thought and then it just expands, expands and expands and you can't stop thinking about it. There is something about taking, I prefer a pen and a paper. And again, I'm a person that's averse to this. I never liked writing in school. I never did this before. There's something right. about taking a pen and paper that slows your mind down to a way that the thoughts that come out are far more coherent to a way that you can now visually see what's in your head on a piece of paper. So I notice a couple of things. One, like you said, it's good to be able to write down wins and things like that. So you can recognize them. It's also incredibly good to write down things that took you out of a state of calm and performance so that you can see those as well. It puts you in a state where you have to think about these things. It puts you in a state where you can visually see it on a paper. You can look at it the next day and say, okay, this is what I needed to work on from yesterday. Now let's implement a plan. 
And if people don't do that kind of hamster wheel of thought just keeps going and going. Another thing that I recognized, and this was really helpful for me, is the emotional processing of events. So when I came back from military service, for example, I didn't really have any issues with what people typically think of as PTSD, flashbacks and things like that. I was having flash forwards, all these thoughts of I left my team. What happens if they get hurt or killed? Okay, the truth of this situation was that they don't need me. We're all replaceable. They're completely capable. And there's no reason for me to have these thoughts at 8 a.m. in the morning when I'm cooking an omelet in my kitchen. So I started, I got the recommendation to write about it. I started writing about it. And it was the first time that I could really feel and think and process the emotion. And eventually through writing about it, those thoughts and things went away. So there's an element to emotional processing through writing that I think is incredibly helpful, especially for people that are typically in the executive role or business owners or entrepreneurs. And they're that type A high driving, always going on to the next thing. This allows us to slow down and look at things differently. And if I now look back and I say, okay, how do I attach this to a higher purpose? How do I attach this idea of why should I write to something that's most important to me? If the most important things to me were my family and my business, if I'm walking around with a stress response and an emotional reaction of fear and negativity all day, how does that affect those two things? Wow. That is probably one of the best explanation and reason why people should write. I just don't, from my own work, it fills. I can feel it when I write. Yeah, I can type it on the keyboard, but when I pull out my journal and actually write, I feel it. And that helps. I mean, like I said, I hadn't really thought about it slowing things down, but it does slow things down. I can see where people get irritated with that. Do you have a morning routine that you recommend or that you go through? Or So I have been playing, adapting, and changing morning routine now for a long time. I can tell you what I'm doing the most important thing is that people find what works for them or right. what they like, and then whatever they need to be optimized. So some people are more on the depressive side, which means they need to have their brains and bodies woken up and alivened, like I'll say, right? So we can utilize physical techniques, breathing techniques, writing techniques, mental imagery to really wake things up. For somebody like myself that had lived in a very high stress environment for a long time and I had trained myself to do, I need to do an element of the opposite, which means I'm practicing meditation, being calm. When I'm doing a physical activity like exercise, I'm very conscious of my breathing. I'm very conscious of my muscular tension. I'm really sp spending an emphasis on loosening my body with things like mobility, right? Because stress creates tension to keep us safe. Right. Uh, so there are some things that work for everybody. A couple of, some of those things are obviously your nutrition in the morning, getting outside and visually seeing sunlight through your eyes, or even if it's cloudy, just getting outside. It's the way that you set your body clock up and your hormones and your brain understands what time of day it is. Getting some sort of movement in and getting some sort of mental practice in. So like I said, for me, it's about calming the nervous system, which is a lot of breath work and meditation. And for other people, it may be different. So yeah, mobility, movement, 
light and that mental training as well. And wow. that has a gap that those specific blocks have always stayed consistent. And the way in which I do them has slowly changed, but they all get to the same conclusion. Wow. That's really helpful. I've had a more morning routine like you. I've shifted around a lot of our listeners and saying the same thing. I've shifted around or I stopped doing it because they made it too hard. I'm going to do these 12 things, but they shifted around. But also it sounds though that this idea of optimizing ourselves, okay, that's got to be a habit. You said, you did say we need to have a reason why we're doing it that outweighs all the reason why we wouldn't do it. But correct me if I'm wrong, this has got to be a habit. It's got to be something that no matter if you feel like doing it or not, you do it. Exactly. That idea of feeling like doing it or not is also something that we need to train. It is very rare that I wake up early in the morning and my body is saying, let's exercise right now. Or that I sit down to do some writing or meditation or anything like that. And my, my mind is saying, be much easier just to go back to sleep. Or when I go outside to get sunlight, or maybe it's cold and I want to stay comfortable. Thinking about or wanting to do something, we have to expect that we're not going to want to do something because most of these things are, most of these things are uncomfortable. When we think of optimization, we have to think of our body's natural processes, which is we induce a stress, we induce a discomfort, and the body adapts to create more comfort. For example, Interesting. Interesting. if you've never run five miles before and you go and run five miles for the first time, you're going to be hurting. You're going to be very sore. Yeah. Over time, your body reacts to where that five miles becomes more comfortable. It's the same thing with getting up and exercising. It's the same thing with getting up and going outside or doing some sort of meditation or writing any of these things or stretching and mobility. It can... So if we go into this with the idea of we understand that thought patterns are just emotions based on our own physiologic systems, our body is wired, not necessarily for pleasure, but for comfort to keep us comfortable. Now we know underneath the truth is, and if we've made a deal with ourselves that we know we need to do this for our benefit, then it's easier to go back and remember that. That's also why I like to say at night, create the deal with yourself when you're calm, relaxed, maybe before bed and set the plan for the next day. So that could be, I'm going to get up. This is going to be my morning routine. I'm going to start work at this time. I have dinner with the family. and I'm going to put my phone in the other room, whatever it is. Right, so now in the morning, when you wake up and your body and mind are saying, I really don't want to go for that run. I really don't want to go jump in the cold ocean. You can remember the deal you made with yourself from last night. You Maybe you have it written down and you've got a reason why. Because if you do this now, your business interactions for the rest of your day and the way that you interact with your family are going to be different and positively impacted. Wow. Wow. So I like to say, I like, I heard this, I like to say, win the morning, win the day. And that's what you're saying. If I set that morning routine intention the night before, I can win the morning, which means I'm going to win the day. Yeah. You're setting up a momentum. Okay. Now I do have a question for you because there's something that you mentioned and maybe I didn't quite get it right, but I disagree with what you're saying here. So I want to, you, I know you're going to stand your ground here. 
What do you mean when you say coach themselves through a process? You're talking about coaching people coaching themselves through a process. Yeah. So what I like to teach is teaching others to become their own coach. That's why the things like taking notes, setting an accountability routine for yourself can be so powerful because now you're becoming the coach. Now you can say to yourself, I had no energy by 2 p.m. today. Okay, mm -hmm. I recognize that. How did that affect me? Okay, for tomorrow, what do I need to change? Maybe that's changing my sleep patterns. Maybe that's changing my caffeine intake. Maybe that's changing my breathing patterns. Maybe my sleep schedule is off because I was traveling. Okay, here's the plan for tomorrow. Maybe it's something that somebody said. They reacted negatively to the decision that I made in a meeting. I got all frustrated and I said things I shouldn't have said. Okay, how do I fix that for tomorrow? Maybe it's I need to rethink about how I react to other people. Maybe it's I need to change my physiologic stress response. Maybe it's I need to go to that person tomorrow and actually have a conversation with them. This is the idea of becoming their own coach, right? When I coach somebody, I'm not coming to them saying I have these magic thoughts. I'm just asking the right questions, I'm pulling the answers out of you. And then I'm acting as the accountability partner to hold you to that process. It's a lot more powerful, but this has to be worked on if you can do it for yourself, because then you don't need anyone on the external. You don't need me. So essentially, well, I'm teaching myself out of a job. <laughs> yeah, that may be true, but maybe not. Because to me, the concern here is going to be that the best of the best have coaches. Okay. And the, I think I realize in emotional intelligence, the higher you are in emotional intelligence, the more you're able to self-regulate yourself and self-coach yourself. But you still have your own bias, your own set of blinders. And you may not see that this particular behavior is causing me to get tired at two o'clock. Yes. So that because part, I completely agree with you. I think you need a coach, but I like the idea of you starting out as accountability, but I think you need the coach outside of you to say, why don't you stop drinking caffeine yep. earlier in the night or something, so you can get whatever it's going to be. Yeah. So it's more powerful to have somebody from the outside. They'll be able to see more clearly because they're not attached to your life. They're not emotionally attached to what's going on. But I still think that the tool and the skill of building your own awareness will still help to a large degree. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. And I agree with that because as you were talking through, I started saying, well, yeah, that is part of emotional intelligence. You know, if I want a high score there, I got to be able to coach myself and regulate myself and make sure these things. So I we're in agreement. I just came a little bit heavier on the other side there for a little bit to help explain that. This is something that I want to ask you about that's a bit of a challenge. So my company is going to do a, a solution summit in close to you, San Diego, hopefully in February, right after the Super Bowl. But we want to do this summit based upon solutions. And one of the solutions we want to look at is some of the solutions, one of the problems we want to look at and create solutions for that is, for example, homeless, homelessness. And we feel, on the surface right now, as some of the questions come back in, it's a mental health issue as much as anything else. Homeless folks are people who have physical and mental health challenges. I noticed you talk about that as well. Can you expand upon your issues with physical and mental health? Can you expand upon that just a little bit? In terms of how they directly relate to homelessness or the core? Not homelessness, but leadership more than anything else. Leaders or how do those issues get there? Because it rolls downhill. But as a leader, 
the mission is to get leaders to have the solution. So what I notice is that most of us know the answers or we can Uh find the answers of Mm -hmm. what to do and how to do it. The major blockages are within us. So that that means I've had a lot of clients that just say, Uh I know what to do. I know what I need to do, or I can find or purchase the information on how to do it. But I, for some reason, I feel resistance. I feel a lack of energy, mental clarity. I feel there's a, I have a huge amount of procrastination. I have a level of imposter syndrome that is keeping me from starting this task. I have a fear around something. And so I haven't done it. I have issues with trust. And so the way I'm treating people, I don't even recognize it as causing them to do this. And my team's not working well for me. There's all of these things. So what I mean with physical and mental health is if we are in a perfect state of physical and mental health, what I find is that these no longer become issues. Now, if we can remove the internal issues, then that path to the solution is clear and easily executable. So go ahead. And so how do you remove that path, that internal stuff that's there? Yeah. So a lot of these are there, but remember that we weren't born with them, right? We typically, we come into the world as a clean slate, right? Babies have this ability to go from happy, cheerful, their toy gets taken away from them. They cry for a few minutes and then they're back to happy again. We lose that ability. So when I think about mind and body, they're completely correlated. So we have to do a little bit of a diagnosis on any of those issues that I just mentioned or any others and say, okay, how's your body reacting and what's the reason for it? Where did this start? How can we change a behavior pattern to rewrite this code? Same with the mind. You have an issue with trust. Where did that issue come from? Is it really because of that person? Or is it because of something that happened when you were in seventh grade? Or is it because of the way that your parents treated you through a important time in your life? How can we recognize that, recognize the way that we act and behave and change those things? Wow. You said you asked some great questions and that's one right there. I mean, when did this start? How do you recognize and drilling down actually took me down back to seventh grade. And so that's a great way to look at it because now I can see how that mental issue is causing some physical results. Yeah, they're completely interconnected. And I like to say is we only even have these two terms, physical and mental, so that we can make sense of them. But you're just one person. They are completely interconnected. We know this because when you get stressed in your body, your thoughts start to change. You go for a hard workout or you ingest alcohol, the gut changing the thought patterns, right? Or you think about something, you know, those old football movies with the linemen and they're saying, think about something that makes you angry, right? And it creates a physical response. They're completely interconnected. And that's the way we need to look at them. And so I found it really interesting in the case studies that I've done with people now on being able to come in, whether it's myself as a coach or anybody else, and make big business changes without any business, actual business advice, right? For example, it can go into a large mortgage business that the person that I'm dealing with, the owner or the executive knows what to do, knows how to do it, but there's these internal issues. We work with them on a human level and then the business changes happen. And so that's been a really cool thing so far. 
It is really a wholeness perspective looking at. You look at the mental, like I said, mental and physical, we label them different, but it's a wholeness kind of perspective. It's where, and just, I'm asking you to coach me a little bit, but it's where if this is not right, that's not going to be completely right. If I'm having a physical issue, it might have something to do with a mental issue. You can look at that because you can, if you believe what a lot of people say, you can heal physical issues with your mental work. So mm -hmm. do you agree it's a kind of a wholeness issue? Tweak one, tweaks the other. And then in this case, tweak one, it tweaks the other and it causes the win on the business side? Yeah, so what we can also look at is most people are very siloed in their approaches to optimization, right? So they will, they'll seek a specific doctor, a nutritionist that helps them with one issue, a physical trainer, a business coach, a mindset coach, a therapist, whatever. But none of these people are actually talking to each other. None of them know all of the other things that you're doing. None of them have coordinated techniques together. None of them have asked the question, you know, the physical therapist is coming only from a physical therapy side. What if the physical tension is being created by something that's completely emotional that's attached to their business? Wow. Wow. This is what where this really comes into play, right? So if you have something that you mentioned, whether it's a physical issue, whether it's a mental issue, whether it's an interpersonal relationship issue, I find the most important process is to have a coach or a partner or whoever it is who understands all of it ask the right questions. And then if we need a true expert in a certain field, it's almost like being a general practitioner and we can go out and seek that. Okay. Okay. And you know what? That also brings more into alignment, the statement, coach yourself through these processes. Because if I go outside to coach, they don't get the different parts. Yeah, I'm proving this part, but this part hasn't talked to this other part to get that. I think about golf. The putting stroke is different than the a chipping stroke or the driving stroke. And, but how does your body react to them? And if we don't talk about that, we learn to swing differently than what our body's used to. We put differently. That's outside of the way outside of the box, but that's what you're kind of saying. That if I look at everything, I'm having a conversation with every part of me. I'm journaling every part of me. And therefore I might be better positioned to coach every part of me. Yeah, exactly. It's really a process of investigation and looking at all aspects of life and how they interconnect. And that's what I think is the most important piece. And I started to learn this kind of within the military saying, okay, there's all these, there's all these people that are so physically strong. They're so mentally tough, but why are we still having issues? Why are people still breaking down? What happens when their body starts to break down? What's causing their mind to break down? What's causing issues at home or with certain mm. addictions that's affecting their work? And you're starting to recognize mm -hmm. that maybe we're maybe we're looking with much too narrow of a lens yeah really starting to look at that really starting to look at that it's time for me to give you a softball explain this statement <laughs> self-care is the most powerful type of care explain to me that it's because it's coming from you you're the salesperson Right. When if in sales, if I'm trying to get somebody to buy something, I want them to convince themselves that they need to buy it. Not for me to convince you. It's a lot mm -hmm. more powerful if it comes from within. Right. So doing this sort of self care, understanding where this comes from, really having a deep seated feel for, oh, how is this uh, affecting me? How is this understand? How is this affecting all other aspects of my life? How can I see the interconnectivity of it? That's really powerful. 
It's also because you're always with yourself. Yeah. So if you're with me, if you're with another coach, if you're with a trainer, with a therapist, you only have a limited win time window with them. They're not always there. They're not always in your head. So if you're doing this work on your own, you have access to it 24 seven. And to your previous point, yes, you will be to a degree blind to a degree, right? But you still have this part of you that knows what's best. That's part of you that can still investigate that's there 24-7. Like that. There's a couple other questions that you're responding, but I want to be respectful of everybody's time and your time. So I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to hold your feet to the fire on this one. That's why I give you a softball one. But sure. I'd like for you to tell us right now, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now to help the leaders? What projects you got going on? What are you doing to help the leaders? Yeah, so typically on a leader standpoint, I'm actually helping them with their own issues. But if we look at the bigger picture, I'm helping leaders understand a process of personal optimization and a way that they can become vulnerable enough to show the rest of the organization what they're doing. Hmm. So that means recognizing their own vulnerabilities and how it may be hindering performance, working on fixing those and then being vocal about them so that the rest of the organization thinks it's okay to work on them and be vocal about them as well. That's how you change the entire culture of a company. That's how you get the biggest ROI. If I can get everybody in that team, in that executive team, in that company to operate 10% better, think about the compounding effect that has on the business. Yeah, even if, even if it's just 1% better, that's a huge growth. Yeah, 1% better over a large company, that's massive growth. So that's really what I'm helping them with. And a lot of this has to do with getting out of their own way and just being open about what needs help. Where do we, how do we get, how do people, I, I do, you do coaching. So you go on site to do coaching or do it online. How do people actually um, work the process with you? Yeah. So most of the time it's virtual. I do speaking engagements. I do corporate retreats. If people are local, I will work in person, but a lot of times it's just virtual, virtual conversations coming up with a plan, things like that, either with individuals or small teams. So how's that break down for, I'm going to go down two tracks here, but let's go down, break down for the coaching. How's that, how do people get a hold of you? What do they need to do in order for you to even consider them to be someone that you would be willing to coach? Yeah. So of course, I'm only going to take on people that I feel that I can help and that I feel it's a decent fit because my intention is only to be able to provide maximum value. So if you want to get a hold of me, relatively easy, you can go to operationevolve.net and contact me there. Send me an email, what you're looking to do, and we'll just jump on a call. And that initial call is when I'll start to ask some of these more difficult questions. And people that come to me, they typically have things that they want to work on. And then we find other things to optimize as we start to converse. Now, I'll be completely honest. The more difficult piece is to go to somebody that is not aware of areas of optimization and to try to convince them, right? So I actually don't try to convince anybody. Once again, I just kind of talk about my story, what I've seen with others and how this could be of value, right? So if that's a speaking engagement with a company or with a small team or with a team of athletes, going through and saying, okay, look at all these things that you may not have considered that weren't taught in school that are often overlooked because it's seen as being tough and we don't want to deal with them and how they can actually improve the bottom line of the business or your overall gotcha. quality of life. Gotcha, gotcha. So the second area I want to look at, 
You talked about speaking or keynoting. What type of audience do you normally like to get your deliver your keynote to? Do you have a brand demographic? So to be honest, I feel that I'm speaking, everything that I'm talking about has to do with humans. So if you're mm. a human, then my message will come get across. Okay. Whether you're 15, 30, 60, whether you're an athlete, a creative, a business executive. Now, I typically end up being in front of either business executive teams or in the past athletes as well. That's where I have find, found myself. I think those people are the ones that are really interested in this optimization. But like I said, I'm discussing human issues. So if you're a human being, it all applies. It applies. I can see that. And that's true. But who's open to hear the message? It's a good question, right? Because a lot of times I can even go into the same organization and some of the room will be very open to hear it. And maybe some of the room isn't. But typically I can hit enough points where people recognize, people can identify with it, right? So if I go in and I ask, have a questionnaire and I ask an executive team, okay, what are the things that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis? It could be frustration, lack of time, feeling burnt out, feeling overwhelmed, any of those issues, a good majority of the room will be able to raise their hand and say, yes, at one point in time, I feel this. And then we can go cool. into those. So really a, a lot of these companies that are trying to optimize, I found a, a lot of interest from companies such as private equity, venture capital, investment banking, people that are in kind of these high stress decision-making roles that really need to think, be able to think clearly and lead in a clear manner. Okay. I like that. That's good. That's good. I want to be very respectful of your time. I know we've already gone past your time, but I want to ask you just a couple more small questions. Yeah. Again, now this is one of those questions I didn't prepare you for. By the way, just in case anybody's serious, I don't ever really share the questions I'm going to ask people because I think off the cuff is better, but this is going to be a hard one for you. Okay. Let me get it up on the screen so everybody can see it. Let's say it shouldn't be, but it is. What questions did I not ask you that I should have asked you? What question did I not ask you that I should have asked you? That's a tough one. Maybe if I'm continuing to do this process for myself, right? I believe that yeah. a coach, doesn't matter what type of coach you are, business, athletics, anything, needs to also be ingrained themselves in this process, needs to completely understand and see the value in it and not get complacent. Because I have found myself, whether it's for a day or a week, you get complacent with some of these things and maybe I'm not working as hard on them. But we always have things that we can optimize, even if they're minute, right? So if I take an issue and I cut that problem down in half and then in half again, and then in half again, there's still an area that I can work on. And that's this growth mindset that keeps us as humans moving forward, that keeps us motivated, that keeps us wanting to help others because we can see it in ourselves. So I love to ask any coach that, and I think people should ask me that as well. Are you doing this for yourself? And the answer is yes. Am I perfect every day? No, but it's always top of mind. And all of my notes in my calendar, there's things for me to be doing and to be working on. Mm. So I think that's an important question when you're coming from anybody in a coaching space. Okay. I said one more. I said two questions. I got another one after this one. So do you, I didn't see where you have any books written yet. 
I don't have any books written yet. Have you done a TED um, Talk I have, yet? I've not done a TED Talk. I have articles and blogs that are up on my site, and I've done a lot mm-hmm. of private talks so far, but that could definitely be in the future. Okay, I'm just curious about that. What book would you recommend? There's a ton of great ones. One of the ones I really like, probably the book that I have the most notes in is A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Hard to um, understand, he also wrote the but beautiful writer, yeah. Power of Now. And that's where I know him from Power Now. But he does have a brilliant mind. I find it difficult, and maybe you don't, though, but I find it difficult to attach that into the business world sometimes. And that's the key. So no matter what the book is, most people just read book after book. It would be far more effective for you to read one chapter of a book, pull the top three concepts that you got from it and figure out how to work those into a daily practice. So for example, and then do that over the course of a year with one book, really integrated, right? Eckhart Tolle has a lot of what he writes about is presence. And that was a big one for me, right? So let's say I read a chapter, I get all of these great notes about presence. I think to, I take time to think to myself, okay, how can I actually apply this? Maybe it has to do with, okay, before I'm going and I'm sitting down to dinner with somebody, I need to work on my nervous system regulation. Anytime I find myself off in my own head, I need to come back to myself. How do I come back? I focus on the sensation of air going in and out of my body. I create awareness in the body instead yeah. of the mind. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I could leave those notes on my calendar. I've got dinner at 6 PM with somebody and it says reminder this and this, and that's integration. And if you do that over a period of time, they will then become habits and you can move on to the next one. That's really, I think that's so true. And it's so important. The power of now, if I was going to say one of his books that I've read, The Power Now is a a great one because it does force, not force, but it helps you get back into understanding it's now. And there's another one that was written by, I want to say Jack Canfield, something similar to that. But anyway, I really thank you for your time. You did create one more question though. You talked about breathing. Yeah. How much do you use that in your coaching? The Talk about breathing. So you feel that sensation of breath going in and going out. It's huge. It is the one automatic process in our bodies that we can take conscious control over. You cannot consciously directly impact your blood pressure, your heart rate, your digestion, but Mm. you can consciously control your breath. So if your breath gets out of whack, you can say, I'm going to take it four seconds in, four seconds out. I'm going to use my nose instead of my mouth. Now this correlates to the mind. A mind is another automatic process. If we forget to think, we'll keep thinking, but we can also take control of it. I can change my focus from thinking about something to thinking about the task at hand, have that control, something that can be trained. So the breath is the one thing that can impact our level of stress. It has a direct impact on heart rate. Mm -hmm. We can lower our heart rate by exhaling longer than we inhale. That's one way to do it. As far as bringing presence and mental clarity, If we find that we're caught in Neverland in our minds and on that hamster wheel, we can utilize the breath as an anchor point, something that we always have. Now, people use a ton of other tools to do this. They use cigarettes, alcohol, 
other drugs, stimulants, right? right? But that's something on the external. The breath is something that you have all the time. And that's why it's the most important tool. Totally understand. Totally understand. And totally agree with that. I just think I agree with you there. I want to say before I do this last little bit, say thank you very much for hanging out with us today. A lot of good points that I'm, I get to listen to it again and again. So it'll be on the podcast. People are going to have that. And I will do a lot of different breakouts into the YouTube channel for this. But I want to give you the absolute final word. So I'm saying thank you for being a guest, but you get the final word. And I want you to know whatever you feel like you want to leave with the folks. Go ahead and do it. Yeah, I want to just say one, I appreciate you for taking consideration of these concepts and putting them out for people. I think that this idea of physical and mental health is on the forefront of a lot of people's minds, but they may not understand exactly how to go about it. My suggestion for everybody else is that if you're finding any areas that need to be optimized personally within yourself or your team, don't be afraid to speak about them. Don't be afraid to also let others know what you're dealing with because odds are they're dealing with the same thing and they've also been afraid to speak about it. But we can only fix the issues that we can see. And so the language is one way that we can bring those up into a place where we can see the issues and work on them together. Vulnerability can be an incredible power. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.